Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. I have directed Secretary Connolly to suspend temporarily the convertibility of the dollar into gold or other reserve assets except in amounts and conditions determined to be in the interest of monetary stability and in the best interest of the United States. Now, what does this action, which is very technical, what does it mean for you? Bitcoin! Ah, Frankie McDonald. Honestly, I think you should change his name to Frankie Weatherman. I just think that that sounds better. It is 8.04 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 12th of August, 2020. This is episode 269 of Bitcoin and Let's Do a Little Bit of Poetry. Uh, Denver Bitcoin penned this one sometime last night. Whiteouts and wind chills walk it off whiners. Withdraw whimpering and wake up wankers. Wrathful wicked weather. Wear woolens and waterproof wardrobes. Warm your wet workwear. Wear by the wood stove. Winter is wonderful, wild, and wide. Exactly. Exceptionally. Not bad, honestly. I mean, I've, I've read way worse poetry than that shit. I mean, that, that, honestly, Denver Bitcoin, not bad, bro. Not bad. Now, <clears throat> we, have to, uh, we have to address the incompetence that is Coinbase. And we'll get into yet more Coinbase incompetence later on in the show. But for right now... Let's just see what Covering Delta had to say about his experience with Coinbase. Uh, apparently yesterday or the day before, I'm not exactly sure. It doesn't matter. It's Coinbase. I just received a message from Coinbase saying that the company cannot verify my account after I was told Sunday that my account had been verified and my case was closed. It's been two weeks since I sent my first customer support email and I still can't withdraw my money. This is what theft through incompetence looks like. You can't, he, the, the man cannot get his money out. I mean, he's been told he was verified and then he receives messages that he's not verified. It is clear that Coinbase is fully incompetent. And you'll get a little bit more of that later on. Let's move right on into the morning roundup. Who's, who's up first? Let's do MicroStrategy. Uh, this is a businesswire.com. I don't think they're actually, yeah, there's no, there's no real byline here. Um, but businesswire.com, a, a Berkshire Hathaway company is writing about this situation with MicroStrategy. Uh, MicroStrategy adopts Bitcoin as primary treasury reserve asset. Yeah, I know you guys have heard about it, but let's see what the good people at Berkshire Hathaway have to say about this situation. MicroStrategy Incorporated, the largest independent publicly traded business intelligence company, today announced that, th that it has purchased 21,454 Bitcoin 
at an aggregate purchase price of $250 million inclusive of fees and expenses. The purchase of Bitcoin cryptocurrency was made pursuant to the two-pronged capital allocation strategy previously announced by the company when it released its second quarter 2020 financial results on July the 28th, 2020. The company addressed the first prong, which called for returning a portion of its excess cash to shareholders. When it announced today that it had launched a cash tender offer of up to $250 million of MicroStrategy's Class A common stock via a modified Dutch auction offer by acquiring 21,454 Bitcoin, MicroStrategy addressed the other prong of its capital allocation strategy, which called for investing up to $250 million in one or more alternative investments or assets. Quote, our investment in Bitcoin is part of our new capital allocation strategy, which seeks to maximize long-term value for our shareholders, said Michael Saylor, CEO, MicroStrategy Incorporated. Quote, this investment reflects our belief that Bitcoin is the world's most widely adopted cryptocurrency as a dependable store of value and an attractive investment asset with more long-term appreciation potential than holding cash. Since its inception over a decade ago, Bitcoin has emerged as a significant addition to the global financial system with characteristics that are useful to both individuals and institutions. MicroStrategy has recognized Bitcoin as a legitimate investment asset that can be superior to cash and accordingly has made Bitcoin the principal holding in its treasury reserve strategy, end quote. Mr. Saylor continued, quote, MicroStrategy spent months deliberating to determine our capital allocation strategy. Our decision to invest in Bitcoin at this time was driven in part by a confluence of macro factors affecting the economic and business landscape that we believe is creating long-term risks for our corporate treasury program, risks that should be addressed proactively. These macro factors include, among other things, the economic and public health crisis precipitated by COVID-19, unprecedented government financial stimulus measures, including quantitative easing adopted around the world, and global political and economic uncertainty. We believe that together, these and other factors may well have a significant depreciating effect on the long-term real value of fiat currencies and many other conventional asset types, including many of the assets traditionally held as part of corporate treasury operations, end quote. In considering various asset classes for potential investment, MicroStrategy observed distinctive properties of Bitcoin that led it to believe investing in the cryptocurrency would provide not only a reasonable hedge against inflation, but also the prospect of earning a higher return than other investments. Mr. Saylor articulated the opinion, quote, we find the global acceptance, brand recognition, ecosystem vitality, vitality, network dominance, architectural resilience, technical utility, and community ethos of Bitcoin to be persuasive evidence of its superiority as an asset class for those seeking a long-term store of value. Bitcoin is digital gold, harder, stronger, faster, and smarter than any money that has preceded it. We expect its value to accrete with advances in technology, expanding adoption, and the network effect that has fueled the rise of so many category killers in the modern era, end quote. Damn, dude, that's a hell of a statement. A leader in the business intelligence space, MicroStrategy has a 30-year history of anticipating technology trends. MicroStrategy was one of the first companies in the enterprise business intelligence software sector. It was a pioneer in relational analytics, web intelligence, and mobile intelligence, and has most recently invented hyperintelligence, trademark, zero-click insights that can be embedded in applications to make them smarter 
faster and stronger. In 2012, Mr. Saylor wrote, quote, the mobile wave addressing the impact uh, mobile computing would have on businesses, consumer and political behavior and the implications of the rise of Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon and Twitter. MicroStrategy believes the world is entering, quote, the virtual wave, a rapid dematerialization of products, services and processes enabled by advances in technology and catalyzed by the COVID crisis. MicroStrategy believes digital transformation is quickened amid rapidly shifting uh, market requirements. These dynamics have many corporations rethinking their offerings, operations, and systems, as well as their balance sheets and financial strategies. Quote, MicroStrategy remains focused on its corporate strategy of operating a growing, profitable business intelligence company, serving some of the largest, most respected institutions worldwide. This strategy includes seeking to grow its revenue through hyper-intelligence, cloud intelligence, and embedded intelligence offerings, a refreshed go-to market focused on simplified products and pricing and a cloud-first platform as a service focus. MicroStrategy's goal of generating long-term operating income and free cash flow has also led it to adopt a new capital allocation strategy. MicroStrategy believes that buying $250 million in Bitcoin will provide it the opportunity to earn better returns, and preserve the value of our capital over time compared to holding cash. Our corporate strategy and two-pronged capital allocation strategy are designed to benefit shareholders, customers, partners, and employees, said Fong Lee, president and CFO, MicroStrategy Incorporated. So there you go. That's about as, that's about as concise as, as uh, we, can, we can get on what exactly happened with the purchase of Bitcoin by MicroStrategy. And honestly, some of these... Uh, statements made by uh Mr. Sayer are are fairly impressive. I they're I mean well worded, well structured, and just I don't know, man. I think a lot of people are <clears throat> in business communities and corporate communities around the world are going to be taking a huge, huge look at what they just did. Now off the heels of that, I got this one out of the uh, bitcoinreserve.com it's actually journal.bitcoinreserve.com why family offices are becoming interested in bitcoin uh this was actually done all the way back in may 8th but coming off the heels of this microstrategy thing it might be worth a uh a look back into time uh bitcoin reserve journal please please don't sue me okay i i know it's it's your stuff but come on you know it, just don't sue. Institutional involvement is often hailed as a linchpin for industry growth. This narrative has reached such an extent that the phrase institutions are coming is now a rallying cry for a legion of Bitcoin believers. However, these players are ready, already beginning to materialize within the ecosystem, and they're chiefly in the form of single and multifamily offices. Family offices enjoy a significant amount of privacy when it comes to their investments. As such, they remain virtually unchecked by the kinds of regulatory overwatch faced by retail investors, allowing them to diversify into a menagerie of options unavailable to others. Unlike their systematically entrenched counterparts, family offices recognize the value of Bitcoin beyond its distorted media portrayal. Why? Because family offices represent smart money. They, they scope past speculation and critically consider long-term implications. Unclouded by conjecture, these in, entities typically focus on statistics, continually hunting uncorrelated, scarce, and asymmetric assets to capture the greatest returns for their clients. Several years ago, 
Facilitating Bitcoin trades in institutional quantities was a near impossibility. The market was ill-equipped to handle such orders without causing significant slippage, and even if it could, exchanges would be hard-pressed to find a counter-trade willing to deliver such an amount. Nevertheless, as Bitcoin's renown grew, over-the-counter markets similarly matured. Now, platforms inclusive of sophisticated clearing and settlement mechanisms and even multi-party custodian solutions exist to smooth any, uh, any of any quantity. With the procedures in place, family offices, both big and small, have started entering in mass. While many of these entities choose to remain private, some bigger Bitcoin-focused players have moved to the forefront. Among one of the most notable is the uh, is Winklevoss Capital, founded by Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss. The famed twins established the fund in 2012, focusing on tech-centric investments, along with the dedicated focus on cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular, of which the pair boast being angel investors. Mm. Another prominent fund is Galaxy Investment Partners, the single-family office of venture capitalist and Bitcoin bull Michael Novogratz. Dependent on their appetite for risk, most recommendations for Bitcoin exposure range from 1% to 30%. Family offices are already starting to capitalize on this by allocating at least 1% to 5%. Nevertheless, exposure, no matter how small, could prove extremely fruitful. Unlike many other assets, Bitcoin displays strong asymmetric risk distribution, meaning that the reward, more often than not, outweighs the majority of the risk. In other words, Bitcoin has infinite upside. Number go up, bro. Family offices have historically understood the importance of diversification. Modern portfolio theory, or MPT, sits at the basis of many of funds' methodologies. At its core, MPT advises against putting all your eggs in one basket. It also promises to diminish risk without lessening the return. However, there's one type of risk it can't protect against, systematic risk. Guarding against such market-wide volatility demands an uncorrelated asset, and that's where Bitcoin comes in. For family offices, Bitcoin's uncorrelated nature is a crucial constituent of its attraction. Shortly after the 2007 financial crisis, institutions realized that their allocation within the stock market was overly excessive. <laughs> they were irresponsibly long, in other words. And they've been on the hunt for uncorrelated assets ever since. Statistically speaking, Bitcoin has proven its uncorrelated worth throughout its lifetime, showing a correlation coefficient of approximately zero with negative one equaling a full negative correlation, zero implying a non-correlation, and one representing positive correlation. As a result, Bitcoin's value proposition is only improving as systemic risk unravels the traditional financial systems. While displaying a briefly correlated stint with the stock market in early March, Bitcoin broke free from the undiversifiable risk of the broader markets and followed gold's upward trajectory since its yearly bottom was carved on March the 13th, Bitcoin has recovered nearly 125%. Bitcoin wasn't born to follow. It's earned the narrative of an uncorrelated safe haven due in part to finite supply. Much like gold, Bitcoin's overall stock cannot be diluted. Unlike the economy, by proxy, the equities market, uh, or sorry, unlike the economy and by proxy, the equities market, which are easily influenced by government intervention, this bestows Bitcoin with the kinds of scarcity uncapturable by traditional assets. Experts have gone one step further, suggesting that due to its similarities to the yellow metal, Bitcoin can serve as a global reserve currency akin to the gold standard. With debt mounting at an unprecedented rate, the fragility of the financial system is starting to show. You know, cracks are everywhere, dude. 
Similarly to how the Bretton Woods Conference established a global financial reset shortly before the end of World War II, many believe now is the time for an economic overhaul with Bitcoin at the helm. The advantages of Bitcoin can no longer be dismissed, and the smart money knows it. It's now every family office's job, quite literally, to at least acknowledge Bitcoin or else risk breaching fiduciary duty. Dude, that's a strong ending statement. A breach of fiduciary duty, uh, yeah, there's some there's some serious uh, repercussions that come along with with that. If if you're accused of breaching your fiduciary commitment to whatever, it could result in job loss, jail time, lawsuits, fines. I, you name it, man. You name it. So yeah, uh, if you are listening to this and for whatever reason you're part of a family office. You know, dude, don't breach your fiduciary duty, man. It's not cool, bro. Not cool. Let's see what else we got here on the stack. Okay, be prepared for this one because it's going to kind of shit all over lightning. But that's just, you got to figure out where the FUD's coming from. So this time it's from Decrypt, which is too bad. Alexander Behrens is writing this one for Decrypt sometime yesterday. Lightning lags, wrapped Bitcoin, booms in DeFi liquidity race. We'll get to that in a sec. Bitcoin is moving at levels not seen in years, but the Lightning Network doesn't seem to be keeping up. The total value of Bitcoin locked on Ethereum via wrapped Bitcoin, or WBTC, has passed $230 million, while Bitcoin used in the Lightning Network struggles to break past $12 million, according to data from SKU Analytics. Let me hold up right there to posit this. Ethereum can't count their own tokens. What on earth makes you think that they can count wrapped BTC on their network? Food for thought. The growing WBTC value comes as Bitcoin continues to be channeled into the Ethereum blockchain, where it will automatically not be able to be counted, even as the Lightning Network continues to be upgraded for improved performance and user experience. The trend indicates growing excitement, even among BTC holders, over the changes to the financial system realized through DeFi. And the potentially massive returns that come with them. WBTC is a centralized collaboration between several DeFi protocols, including Maker, Compound, Kyber Network, Aave, and more. It's used to lock Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain in exchange for WBTC ERC20 tokens of equivalent value. WBTC uses a network of trusted third party custodians to facilitate the cross chain value transfer, in addition to more than 20,000 BTC locked as WBTC REN protocols. REN BTC has also seen impressive growth since launching in May 2020, now making up nearly 10% of all Bitcoin locked on Ethereum. The REN BTC design uses smart contracts to lock Bitcoin as opposed to trusted third parties used by WBTC. In total, more than 25,500 Bitcoin, roughly $289 million at today's price, are currently locked on the Ethereum network, where it immediately can't be counted. The Lightning Network, a second layer solution intended to increase the speed and reduce the cost of Bitcoin transactions, has recently been upgraded with new features, including multi-part payments that allow sent user or sorry, that allow sent funds to be split and routed as smaller amounts to make it easier to find a complete path of Lightning nodes to the intended recipient. All nodes must have adequate liquidity to sufficiently route payments, putting large excuse me, putting large transactions at risk of failure before the upgrade. The release also includes improvements for simplified interrogate or integration with wallets 
and easier tracking of internal transactions for tax reporting. Notably, the Lightning Network has seen more than 200 or yeah, 260 new nodes added in the last 30 days, according to network data from Lightning Network statistics aggregator 1ML. Network capacity, however, or the number of BTC and Lightning nodes available to facilitate rapid transfer has grown less than 1% over that same time. If Bitcoin transaction fees remain elevated, more money could flow into the Lightning Network as traders seek relief from the high transactions costs. For the time being, however, growth of Bitcoin on Ethereum continues to leave the Lightning Network in the dust. Okay, yeah. So there's, there's your morning FUD, okay? It's, it's not that it's complete bullshit. It's that, is there, a, is there a need? There's quite a bit of liquidity on Lightning as it is. And in my opinion, safer protocol. Wrapped BTC scares the living piss out of me. Actually, it doesn't scare me, but it is cause for concern because as we've seen over the last few days, they can't count their own coins. Which calls into question, can you count any of the ERC-20 tokens? Do we know at all what the capacity of 3,500 shit coins that were generated out of the scam machine that is Ethereum, can we trust to be able to know how many there are of any of these? This is a bad situation for Ethereum. I'm sorry, I, I don't know what else to tell you. And there's no amount of, of bitching, wailing, crying, and moaning that is going to get me to change my mind that if you can't count, you should not handle money. I'm sorry. Just because I have a bank account doesn't mean that there's, I, and that I don't know the money that's, the amount of money that's in that account doesn't mean that it's safe or that I'm going to be able to conduct any kind of business, including buying a fucking taco without somebody going, do you know how much money you have? I expect you to pay me. You better have the money in your account. And you're telling me that you don't need to know how much money is in your account. But the fact that you have a bank account is all that I need to have to trust you. This is bullshit. Everything about it is bullshit. Do not fall for it. Okay. It's just, it, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to work out well for people in the end. Short term, dude, the early scammers in any Ponzi scheme going to make out like bandits. We've seen it with the ICOs. We saw it with, you know, the alt, you know, altcoin. And every time somebody starts saying altcoin season or alt season, I start getting a little sick. But getting back to the matter at hand, I know how much is on, uh, I can trust how much is on Lightning Network because we all run nodes that are interrogating the amount that's on Lightning. And, and we're usually running it on nodes that are also running a full Bitcoin node. You kind of got to do that. So that the, the that these networks can talk to each other and they know how much money is going around, right? Just because I run a full node does not mean that I don't need to know or that that node doesn't need to know how much there is. The argument of my node simply enforces the rules and that's enough is not enough. I'm sorry, it's just not. So institutional FOMO, CME Bitcoin futures open interest soars to $841 million. Marcel Pechman writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime last night. 
Oh, today, the open interest on Chicago Mercantile Exchange Bitcoin futures reached an all-time high of $841 million. Although this can't be deemed bullish on a standalone basis, it does signal that professional investors' interest in Bitcoin continues to grow at an immense rate. Further proof of this comes as MicroStrategy uh, announced the acquisition of 21,000 Bitcoin for $250 million. <clears throat> this shows that regardless of what critics have said about cryptocurrencies, savvy investors and entrepreneurs have recently built sizable positions in Bitcoin and some altcoins. That's too bad. The best way to gauge investor sentiment <clears throat> on futures contract is by measuring their premium versus Bitcoin's market price at spot exchanges. Typically, the indicator should display a 0.5% to 1% premium for one-month contracts in CME futures. <clears throat> By postponing the financial settlement date, it is only natural that sellers are required to put up more money. Now, on the other hand, an excessive premium will create an arbitrage opportunity as one can sell the futures contract while simultaneously buying the same amount on spot markets. This is a neutral market strategy commonly known as cash and carry. The above chart uh, shows that the basis has consistently held a favorable terrain since mid-March, recently sustaining levels above the 1% premium for 10 consecutive days. Oh, and it does. It, I'm looking at the chart, and it, it honestly is. Wow, that's not bad. A positive basis indicates contango meaning sellers are demanding more money to postpone settlement. This situation known as contango is the primary indicator of a healthy and bullish derivatives market. This is especially true when open interest increases as new positions are being created under these ideal circumstances. The current $171 million CME options open interest carries a trend that has been consistent since its launch as they are heavily concentrated on call options. This means investors are able to capitalize on the right to acquire CME Bitcoin futures at a fixed price, also known as a strike. CME options contract expires on the last Friday of every month, causing the sharp drops in open interest seen on the, uh, on the chart above. As things currently stand, 66% of CME open interest sits on the August 28th expiry, while another 14% is set to mature in late September. Call options are usually related to bullish strategies. However, they are also used for covered calls, which are rather neutral and aim to generate a fixed income as long as the underlying asset remains above a certain threshold. The best way one can spot call option being used for market neutral strategies is by monitoring to see if the percentage of open interest is well below the current market levels. Spotting the difference is crucial to correctly gauge if call options are being used mostly for bullish or neutral positions. Each CME contract option contract re represents five BTC and the most relevant strikes for August and September expires uh, or expiries are expressed in the chart above. The first thing to note is the absence of volumes below the $10,000 level. Of the current $171 million in options open interest, 80% are calls, which is another bullish indicator. Considering the most significant strike levels of August and September contracts, one can infer those options are mostly being used on bullish strategies. To ascertain whether this positive stance holds on the broader options market, one should review the total open interest by strike 
by aggregating every derivatives exchange, regardless of whether th these are more concentrated on call or put options, a substantial open interest on strikes below market levels is rather neutral or bearish. The, there are currently 44,700 BTC open interest below $10,000, signaling $514 million. This figure represents only 28% of the $1.84 billion aggregate open interest and signals bullishness from options markets and corroborates the CME call options analysis. By monitoring derivatives markets, one can gauge professional traders' sentiment and better evaluate today's failure to break $12,000 resistant and its subsequent test of a $11,150 level. Both futures and options indicators are signaling bullishness and thereby should have more importance than charts and trading data from August 2019 markets. Back then, BTC tested 12,000 12, for a week before declining 20% over the next five days. Will the pattern repeat this time? That's a good question and a valid fear for veteran Bitcoin investors familiar with just how volatile the digital asset is. Fortunately for bulls, from the perspective of the BTC derivatives markets, there are not compelling signals for bearishness so far. So there you go. There's actually a lot of really good information uh, there from Marcel uh, about what some of this stuff is because some of this stuff is really, really confusing. You know, like somebody says, I hit my strike and I'm like, I don't know what a strike is. So it's good to have people in the ecosystem that don't mind spilling the beans on what some of this stuff actually means. Beijing selects Hong Kong's Greater Bay Area as first market to deploy DCEP. This is forecast.news staff writing this one but it's, uh, it's found in decrypt.co. This was done yesterday. Fresh off the announcement that the retail DCEP app is undergoing the final stages of beta testing in Shenzhen, a representative from the People's Bank of China told local media in the country that the first area where the platform would be officially deployed is the Greater Bay Area. The Greater Bay Area is a regional, regional amalgam of Hong Kong, Macau, and Shenzhen with a combined GDP of $2 trillion that Beijing wants to turn into a unified economic hub. Its competing legal systems, however, make that a challenge. The lack of standardization, <coughs> hold on. <clears throat> yeah, just wait, you'll get standardized. The lack of standardization for things such as customs and finance regulations have made the region a proving ground for blockchain and digital ledger technology. In June, China Guangfa Bank launched a blockchain-based system for seamless cross-border payments and settlements. Speaking to the Southern Daily, a newspaper that serves as the Communist Party of China mouthpiece for Guangzhou by Hexan, the president of the People's Bank of China's Guangzhou branch, said that financial institutions and firms in the region that deal with high volumes of cross-border trade would be first on the list of companies piloting the program, quote, considering the large-scale cross-border adoption of DCEP in the future, Guangdong might be one of the most important markets. Guangdong has a well-developed business environment, large population, and wide range of international trade, all which will help push with the adoption of DCEP, uh, said Zhao Li, a financial analyst to Southern Daily. Since Be Beijing has identified blockchain as a strategic technology, the PBOC and the China Banking Regulatory Commission have published a blockchain-based, quote, master plan for the region, a pillar of which is the adoption of blockchain technology to facilitate trade. 
During the system's initial pilot phase, it closed approximately 2,779 loans across 524 companies with a total value of $7.8 billion. In previous announcements, the PBOC said that DCEP would be launched in time for the 2022 Olympic Games, tentatively scheduled to be held in Beijing. However, an official timetable for the launch has yet to be announced. So shitcoinery in Hong Kong. And of course it's going to be in Hong Kong because they're going to use that thing sort of like a missile testing range, kind of like, you know, White Sands, New Mexico. You, you, it, it's being sacked. Hong Kong is is being sacked. We're watching the sacking of a huge city right before our eyes. It may not look like it right yet, but no, nah, it's getting sacked. Uh so hard to watch, man. It's terrible to watch. Uh, let's see. Let's see here. Hold on for a sec. <clears throat> All right. Got this one from Ting Pang out of Cointelegraph. Why Chinese miners won't stage a 51% attack on Bitcoin. And it was written sometime last night. China accounts for more than half of the world's Bitcoin mining capacity. But Jameson Lopp, the co-founder and CTO of Casa, has hosed down fears that Chinese miners are a threat to Bitcoin in a blog post on August the 9th. Although many people have raised concerns over the concentration of such hash power being located in China, Lot pointed out that even in the event of a 51% attack on Bitcoin, attackers are limited in what they can actually do. He explained that attackers can't steal people's Bitcoin arbitrarily, nor change the consensus rules. They can't reverse valid transactions. The only thing that they can do is double spend their own Bitcoin. The best way for a 51% attacker to seek maximum profit is to cash out via crypto exchanges into censorship-resistant cryptocurrency or stablecoin. However, this presents big problems in terms of withdrawal limits and know-your-customer requirements among exchanges. It also doesn't make much economical sense for attackers to dump a big chunk of Bitcoin at once. Quote, The value of Bitcoin you hold still will hold after the attack and will likely have decreased substantially. Thus, a successful large attack could actually result in shooting yourself in the foot. You better not slip up while you're accessing the exchange you target. For example, one hacker returned $25 million in stolen funds after leaking their IP address. Lop thinks it would be nearly impossible for a nation state to get in total control of mining facilities and that Bitcoin stakeholders would take immediate emergency actions against such an act. Even if the attack shifts from targeting individual mining facilities to an easier attack of mining, 70% of hash power in China is coordinated via fewer than 10 mining pools. Switching mining pools is incredibly easy for miners. It's also difficult to pull off covertly as there are plenty of independent companies putting out social media alerts against malicious attackers. Quote, it's hard to imagine a scenario in which a state actor would be able to quickly and covertly seize enough hash power to perform an ongoing attack that lasts more than a few hours, end quote. According to Lop, the reason hash power has been concentrated in China ever since 2015 is due to the fact that most of the mining chips are produced in Asia. Most importantly, China also has an abundance of cheap energy and has the political and economical stability to facilitate mining infrastructure. Lop concluded any large-scale mining attack is going to be limited in its effectiveness, as Cointelegraph reported before. In the long run, competition in semiconductor production and cheaper power sources will continue to rise globally, and China's mining dominance will not last. Okay, so I tend to agree with all that, but... If 51% attacks, you know, if, if you're like, oh, thank God my shitcoin's safe. No, it's not. 
No, it's not. Because low-hanging fruit, just like regulators, people are going to be looking to attack that which is the most easily attackable. And what's great about that is that it makes all the shit coins look bad when Ethereum Classic gets hit, like, what is it now, three times? It's at least twice with a 51% attack. It could be three times. I've seen, I've seen somebody say that it's been attacked several times over the last week. So as, th- as that chain gets attacked, the smart money would be moving to offload that to buy Bitcoin with, okay? And when other chains start getting attacked, the same thing will happen. And you'll just see the erosion of the edges back to the center that started it all. That'd be, well, Bitcoin. All right, let's see. Let's do this one. Uh, Yeah, we're going to do this one before I break for uh, vital statistics. But don't get mad at me for reading this. But you have to know. You absolutely have to know about this one. Love them or hate them. Personal tokens are booming on Uniswap. Trading for cash tag Alex and cash tag Kerman, tokens that represent their creators, has hit record levels. Robert Stevens doing this one for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Uh, Love him or hate him, personal crypto tokens are having their moment on Uniswap. Trading for Alex and Kerman, the respective tokens of two entrepreneurs in their early 20s, Alex Mazmej and Kerman Kali, have boomed over the past few weeks. The two tokens were both caught up in Uniswap's record-breaking trading volumes yesterday. Volumes on Uniswap broke records yesterday when trading climbed from 117.8 million on August the 9th to 193.3 million on August the 10th, an increase of 64% over 24 hours. People are sick in the head, man. Those represented by personal uh, tokens issue them to fans as a sort of loyalty scheme. Hold $100 worth of Alex and you'll get to vote on his life decisions. Oh, God. Last month, his fan base made him run five kilometers each day. Or exchange your tokens for services such as consulting work. And for those tokenizing themselves, it's a way to build a click raise money or bet on your own success. These schemes, however, have their share of detractors, some of whom say these personal tokens are just ICOs by another name. (laughs) You think? They're even worse. The token sale for Alex and Kerman both raised close to $25,000. Mazmej was even called an initial Alex offering. Mazmej said he intends to use the money to fund a trip to San Francisco where he hopes to make it as a tech entrepreneur. Some think the token sales will beckon the same legal action that crushed so many ICOs, uh, though their token sales made clear to investors that they were not, well, investing at all. The tokens have utility, they claim. Oh my God, this is poorly written. Sorry, guys. Lawyers nevertheless think that courts won't be convinced. Let's, let's see. Hold on for a sec. Was wondering sure. Let's see what Jake Chernevsky has to say about that. He's a lawyer guy. He tweets out about this, not legal advice, but if you're thinking about raising capital by selling a personal token in the United States to fund your career on the promise of returning profit to investors based on your future efforts, maybe just don't. All basically, Jake just restated the Howey test, and if you uh, pass the Howey test, that's not a good. That's not a good. Uh, that's not a good pass. Because if you check off all the boxes on the Howey test, you're going to go down. Trading of Alex, the token that represents French cryptopreneur. Oh, please help me. Oh, my God. Oh, oh it hurts. I, 
Oh, I've got tricked into saying cryptopreneur. Oh, trading of Alex, the token that represents French cryptopreneur, Alex Mesmej, started spiking on July the 27th when daily liquidity for its ETH pairing more than doubled within a day from $12,691 to $26,167 by July the 28th. Liquidity kept rising until its peak on August the 7th when it hit $77,000. That's an increase of 513% in 11 days. The token for Kerman, the Australian entrepreneur who authors the DeFi Weekly Substack, was listed on Uniswap on July the 28th. Trading for Kerman also spiked around the time Mazmej token peak. Uh, well, I wonder why all this shit moves together. It's not a... Sorry. Yeah, on August the 9th, trading of his token was merely 120 bucks. The next day, it hit 3,600, an increase of 2,975% overnight. The price for a Kerman on Uniswap also doubled from 12 cents to 24 cents. The bubble appears to have since popped, and trading liquidity and prices for both coins have since fallen, and not all human tokens. Oh, human tokens. Man, this is going to be a lot of fun, dude. Not all human tokens received a trading bump. Though daily trading volume, cash tag June, the token representing the former managing director of Coindesk, increased from $0 to $95 on August the 10th. Not many people are trading the coin on Uniswap. I think that was a, that was a really bad typo because it actually says, if I read it, the way that it's written, the man of uh, June, the token representing the former managing director of CoinDesk, increased from zero dollars to ninety-five point two seven, and they have both the dollar sign in front and the percent sign in back. So, is it ninety-five point two seven dollars, or is it ninety-five point two seven percent? And then it says not many people are trading the coin on Uniswap. You be the judge. This this whole thing is a shit show and it's just going to get worse. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But let's finish off. The rise is likely due to the coins being swept up in the humid DeFi storm. The DeFi craze or decentralized finance started in late June when certain DeFi lending protocols started offering their customers additional incentives in the form of governance tokens. The resulting practice termed yield farming caused dozens of DeFi tokens and altcoins to soar in value. Okay, that's the end of the article, but it is not the end of the fucking circus. And it's never going to end, ever. I know everybody, you know, most of my audience probably just cannot stand altcoins, ICOs, I, all that bullshit nonsense. Get used to it. It is not going to stop. The only way this crap stops is if all the humans in the world become smart, you know, intelligent or something like that. Okay. Cause this, it, here's what I'm getting at. Do you know how many Twitter accounts that I've seen that are either crypto or Bitcoin, but it's a chick and the, uh, let's see the avatar. It shows some, beautiful, like probably barely legal teenage girl. And they start their account in like May of 2020 and they get like 
10,000 followers and they may not have actually bought them because everybody wants to look at a pretty girl. Now, how many of those have you seen? Those Twitter accounts, those Instagram accounts, those Facebook accounts, and you know it's fake as shit. I got a guy that I know on Twitter and his avatar is some barely legal teen hot ass chick. But we know it's a guy behind them. He's just, he's doing the same thing. He's making a statement that this is all nonsense. Just because you put some hot ass chick as your avatar and pretend to be a girl. And all of a sudden you get like 5,000 followers in like two months, man, there's something very wrong with the human spirit at that point. Now that is going to collide with personal tokens because when you're looking at like these people on their personal tokens, it's got their face attached to it, you know, either through the trading account or, or how they're representing it or whatever. It, do, it doesn't matter. They're going to be able to attach the token like cash tag, hot ass chick with avatar, hot ass chick. And they're going to throw them together on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all the other social media. And they're going to get rich for doing nothing. Because people are that stupid. We were stupid to, we were stupid with alt season. We were stupid with ICO season. We were stupid with everything else. And now we have human tokens. Congratulations. Congratulations. Everybody in this space just lost a hundred fucking IQ points. Let's do some numbers. It appears the economy is saved. S&P 500 up a full point. NASDAQ up a point and a half. Dow Jones almost up a point. FTSE is up 1.5. Nikkei is up a half. Hang Seng is up one and a half. VIX is down to almost eight. We are saved, bro. And, and, and bond yields are mixed and meh. Won't even go into it, but the German 10 years still cost you money to hold. Oil got a bump. I don't know why, but it's up 2%. So West Texas Intermediate, a barrel of, will uh, set you back about $42.50. Natural gas getting kicked in the crotch again. It's down another 3%. And $2.10 will buy you 1,000 cubic feet of natural gas. Let's talk about money. Bitcoin is at 11498 I got a high, it's going to be over a bit asset at 11580 bucks. And actually the 498 number is the low. Everything else that I'm showing, I'm showing bit asset at 11580 Hit BTC, 11550 uh, GDAX at 1156 Coinbase Pro at 1157 and Bitstamp at 1156 Wow, good bump, bro. 350,000 transactions in the last 24 hours gets us right around 14,500 transactions on average per hour with just a hair under 1 million BTC being sent in that period. 39,795 BTC are being sent on average per hour and the average transaction value is 2.75 BTC while the median transaction value is 0.05 or about 578 bucks block times continue to be slightly low. Actually not slightly. It's damn low. Nine minutes and seven seconds. 0.8 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 140 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had 
Uh, yeah, a major bump in hash rate. We've got 11 and a half to the upside, bringing us to 130.8 exahashes per second. Ethereum at 386, Bcash at 290, or sorry, 289, BSV at 209, Litecoin at 55 bucks, Ethereum Classic at six and three quarters, Dogecoin holding at 0.0034 at 53,600 transactions. You guessed it. It's bitch slapping Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and making Bcash just looking pretty embarrassing. Clark Moody, bitcoin.clarkmoody.com. His price is showing $11,566. Mempool activity is 12,500 transactions in the mempool waiting or in his mempool or whatever mempool he's looking at. And it's going to take 11 blocks to clear that. The Lightning Network that apparently nobody uses has 978 BTC representing $11.3 million in liquidity spread across 7,353 nodes representing 36,422 channels. Tor capacity bumping up 441.3 BTC is in that and that gives us 45 0.1% tour capacity that's spread across 2,157 nodes. That's going to do it for vitals. Hey, you got kids? Shamari is the first and only STEM authenticated Bitcoin card game. It is the perfect mixture of fun and education for anyone of any age who is interested in learning about Bitcoin. Learn the basics of how mining works while earning Bitcoin rewards for each block you mine. Shamari players will not only have a blast while playing, they will also be exposed to key features that have kept the Bitcoin network secure over the past decade. This simple exposure will help individuals become more comfortable with Bitcoin and create the next generation of Bitcoin hodlers. So pick up a pack or two of Shamari today at play Shamari on Twitter. It'll tell you everything you need to know. All right. So there's a, there's a free ad read. Why? I don't know. I believe in these guys and we're all underdogs and we all, you know, I feel that I feel it necessary to just lift, do what I can to help lift. All right. So yeah, it's a free ad. They're not giving me any money. I did get a pack of cards out of them, but that's not why I'm doing it. I actually like the game. My kids like the game. I think you'll like the game. So therefore, I don't mind reading an ad. I don't mind reading that particular ad for free. So there you go. I've, all the disclosures are there. I guess I should say not investing advice too, but who gives a shit? Speaking of ads, this ad is shit. Bitcoiners on Grayscale's new TV spot. Oh man. So apparently I wasn't the only one that was giving it shit yesterday. Uh, this is Turner Wright. He's writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. Uh, didn't take long for us to pretty much just crap all over this thing. Amid sky-high expectations, the latest television ad from Grayscale Investments has proven a disappointment to many Bitcoiners. <clears throat> the 30-second ad is running on business and finance cable TV channels, and there were hopes before it was unveiled that it could bring crypto investing to millions, but the reaction following the crypto fund manager posting the ad to its Twitter account on August 10th have been fairly savage. <laughs> you think? The Twitter video has so far racked up 92,000 views and 2,400 likes, but it didn't meet the Bitcoin boosting expectations of many crypto Twitter users because it simply takes viewers through 
the history of currency from seashells to paper. Quote, I can't believe you spent that much money, didn't say Bitcoin, and actually listed Bitcoin Cash in Ethereum Classic, which is currently under centralized attack. In this ad, said Twitter user John Miles, quote, I was hoped, or sorry, I was hyped for this, and I must say it was a disappointment. I tend to agree. Many criticize Grayscale for the ad's production, saying the song was too loud and stating the music is overlapping the words and most of the audio is unhearable. Quote, I was expecting much more than this, said Backstreet Trader. It doesn't compel me to take any action. It has a so what vibe. Perhaps Crypto Bitlord, oh God. Crypto Bitlord best summed up the feelings by many, or summed up the feelings of many by succinctly, ah, I'm having problems today, forgive me. Perhaps Crypto Bitlord best summed up the feelings of many by succinctly saying this ad is shit. There, I got it, finally, God. A few members of the crypto community have taken the opportunity to poke fun at the investment firm. This parody video from satirist Josh Cincinnati overdubs the voiceover and ends with the memorable tagline, we don't give a fuck what you buy, just buy some. (laughs) I'll have to listen to that one later. Rather than being discouraged, Grayscale CEO Barry Silbert said he loved the spoof videos and called for more submissions to be posted on his Twitter thread. Bitcoin Meme Hub followed up with the slightest of changes. The Twitter user replaced the investment firm's final words with those of amateur meteorologist and Bitcoin Frankie McDonald, Bitcoiner Frankie McDonald yelling Bitcoin in his distinctive voice. Ah, <laughs> Bitcoin Meme Hub, always good for m- many laughs. As of August the 11th, Grayscale Investments has, wow, $5.7 billion in asset under management for its crypto trust for Bitcoin, Bcash, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, Horizon, jeez, Litecoin, Stellar Lumens, XRP, and Zcash. What a bag of shit! That dude's holding on to some crap. Oh yeah, the the ad is the ad was horrible. The production value was just like they found some kid in a garage somewhere. I mean, it's really really bad. And its final like its final mix down is exactly what you heard. It's like it's it's almost unhearable. And it sounds like somebody compressed it, you know, using an Ibanez floor stomp pedal. You know, I'm serious, man. It's just, it's bad, dude. It's really bad. But be that as it may, let's continue on. India may be starting its biggest Bitcoin bull run yet. If they could figure out what the hell they're going to do with it, they keep flip-flopping on everything. This is August the 11th, written by everybody's favorite Lee Kuhn and Shui Hao, and this is obviously for Coindesk. According to Coindance's Paxful and Local Bitcoin's volume data, India's Bitcoin peer-to-peer trade volume reached an all-time high in July. Siddhartha Dutta, CEO of Marlin, a tech startup in Bangalore, said the recent spike in demand for Bitcoin mirrors Indians' reactions to demonetization back in uh, 2016. Back then, some people learned the value of holding Bitcoin, whose issuance is not controlled by any government, when the Indian government recalled a vast percentage of paper currency. The old bill suddenly lost value due to a government decree. The idea that Bitcoin's value is based on market principles instead instead of fickle government policies made it particularly attractive. The price of Bitcoin on ZebPay, an Indian crypto exchange, had surged from $757 to $1,020 in 18 days after that demonetization, while the Bitcoin price in uh, the U.S. remained relatively static. 
For some Indian investors, investing in Bitcoin was a safe option to store their wealth and minimize the uncertainties caused by demonetization and a possible gold ban. India's growing crypto market dramatically slowed in 2018 when the Reserve Bank of India ordered financial institutions to avoid working with crypto exchanges. Now, the lifting of banking restrictions appears to have unleashed pent-up demand for cryptocurrency, which no government can declare worthless. <laughs> Thank God, that's actually a good way, to, good way to put it. These days, Bitcoin activity is ramping up across India on peer-to-peer -peer exchanges such as Paxful and local Bitcoins. As the chart below shows, India's peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin transaction volumes have doubled over the last five months. According to a spokeswoman from Paxful, one of the leading peer-to-peer -peer trading platforms, India is now among the five fastest-growing Bitcoin user groups in the world. Ooh, that's 1.4 billion people? Paxful's India volu Indian volume surged from around $570,000 in May of 2019 to $8.9 million in July of 2020, and the total peer-to-peer -peer Indian volumes on Paxful and local Bitcoins reached $13.7 million. Smaller exchanges serving the Indian market like Delta Exchange are also seeing rapid growth. Delta Exchange CEO Pankaj Balani said new signups are growing 100% month over month. Duda believes, a crypto, or believes crypto has also been slowly gaining traction thanks to mesh networks. Thank you. That help provide connectivity and fast streaming in rural areas. This could signal the start of an even bigger adoption cycle. People in India, uh, yeah, quote, people in India are getting exposed to the internet mobile first, Duda said. However, he added that this growth should not be mistaken for mainstream adoption. The bull market, uh, let's see, the bull market combined with coronavirus travel restrictions could energize India's startup scene. Bangalore-based entrepreneur, no way I can pronounce it, is the co-founder of the Lightning Wallet startup LastBit. LastBit aims to reach beyond the Indian market to serve Europe and eventually North America, but since 2020 will be a year of relative quarantine. What's-his-name is thinking it's a good time to build at home. Quote, Silicon Valley is a fantastic place for business, but as a young company, we're able to function more effectively and keep things lean with a 10x difference in runway by using our Indian roots, he said. Duda said he expects that cryptocurrency projects will continue to proliferate across India's tech industry during the coronavirus recession. Quote, there is certainly potential to grow much more, end quote, due to set. So, yeah, whatever it is, 1.4, 1.3 billion people. I mean, it was, I was wondering when the hell we were going to start seeing some real activity out of India. And what, you know, obviously the concern is that yet one more time, the Indian Supreme Court and whatever finance ministers in their rings and robes and funny fucking hats have to say about cryptocurrency is going to flop to the other side again and then go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Honestly, if they do it fast enough, if they switch their stance fast enough, that may actually be good for the adoption of Bitcoin in India because people finally just go, you know what? I am so sick of you guys not being able to make up your freaking mind that I'm just going to do whatever the hell it is I want to do and you can leave me alone. But here's who doesn't leave people alone. Coinbase. Now, I'm going to read you the good, and then we're going to get to the bad. Coinbase saved its clients 75% fees by batching Bitcoin transactions. And this was written today by Francisco Memoria for CryptoGlobe.com. 
According to a blog post, the cryptocurrency exchange posted since rolling out Bitcoin transaction batching on March the 12th for both Coinbase Consumer and Coinbase Pro, it has greatly reduced the amount paid in transaction fees for customer withdrawals and has passed those savings on to its customers. Transaction batching works by repack or packaging various transaction requests into a single transaction instead of creating a new transaction for every single request. Batching transactions reduces the cost of moving the funds on the flagship cryptocurrencies network. The costs are reduced both because the fees paid to move the funds are contained to a single transaction with multiple outputs and because reducing the number of transactions being broadcast onto the Bitcoin blockchain better uses the available block space of little over one megabyte per block. That's not true, but we'll we'll let them slide and reduces competition, reducing transaction fees for every Bitcoiner. Coinbase points out that it has been batching all of its customers' withdrawals since March 12th and added, over this time period, we have realized 75.2% reduction in transaction fees saved and passed 100% of those savings on directly to the customer, end quote. And we'll just end it here. The cryptocurrency exchange added that batching transactions also helped reduce fee volatility as during high activity periods, transaction fees don't surge as much. The exchange also saw the amount of transactions it was generating per day drop by 95%. Coinbase batches transactions per day based on the amount of requests it received from customers and revealed this is now happening at least once per minute. Its conservative estimate, it added, suggests its move to batch transactions contributed to 10 to 15% reduction in the number of confirmed transactions per day on the entire network. Okay, so Coinbase out there helping its customer, bro. Yeah, yeah. Batching has been available for years longer than Coinbase has done this. So this whole post of look at me, dad, look what I'm doing is complete horseshit. You should have been saving fees by batching customer transactions years ago, Brian, years. Okay, let's see what Bitcoin Optech has to say about this kind of stuff. They released their newsletter today, I hit my mail this morning, and lo and behold, what's in here by Gustavo Flores Aches, Product manager at Verify. He's got a piece that says field report how SegWit and batching could have saved half a billion dollars in fees. Mm-hmm. Fee optimization is possible through diverse techniques varying from segregated witness transaction batching replaced by fee and fee estimation. Calculating exact transaction fee savings from the last two techniques, RBF and fee estimation, is quite difficult, but SegWit and batching gains can be modeled to hypothetical scenarios since their improvements are measurable. In our report, we wanted to model what full adoption of native SegWit and transaction batching would look like for the network compared to the partial adoption that we currently see. We wanted to determine the transaction fees that could be saved, how that has changed over time, and how it impacts block space and block weight. Our modeling for transaction batching is based on David A. Harding's formula for detecting whether a transaction spends coins it receives in the same block. If so, those transactions can hypothetically be batched and the transaction weight reduced. After batching all potentially batchable transactions, we combine the size of the hypothetical block and compare it to the real block size. From there, we can calculate the bytes that were saved and the percentage this savings represents. 
Finally, if we take the size of each block and remove the size of the block header and the miner's Coinbase transaction, we can divide the save space by this new amount. The percentage we get is an approximation of the fees that would have been paid in the case of full adoption. Our code for analyzing the data and calculating the potential savings is here, and of course, that's a link. For SegWit, we analyzed from block 481,825, which happened on the 24th of August, 2017, the day of SegWit activation. Until block 637,090 on the 30th of June, 2020, our method goes through every input of every transaction. And if the input isn't native SegWit, it calculates the weight it would save if it were native SegWit, which can then indicate to us the amount of fees it could save. Finally, we collect the block weight and block fee of each block in reality and also collect the potential block weight and potential block fee of our model by summing up the results of each transaction. You can find the repository for our code used here. And of course, here is a, uh, a link. So major takeaways. Assuming a Bitcoin price of 9,250, correct at the time the report was published, we have a set of bullet points. From January 2012 to June 2020, 211,000 BTC were paid in fees to miners. This amounts to a total of around $2 billion in uh, US dollars. Total savings during that period amounted to almost 58,000 BTC, representing an amount of about 530 million USD. This represents a percentage of around 27.36% over the grand total of transaction fees paid. Over 21,000 BTC could have been saved by Bitcoin users if they would all have been using transaction batching, a savings of 10% or almost 200 million USD. From August the 24th, 2017 to June 30th, 2020, about 37,000 BTC could have been saved by Bitcoin users if they would have all been using SegWit native BEC32, down from over 97,000 BTC actually paid in fees which is 38% in savings or about 340 million USD. The advantages brought through optimized fee management techniques such as SegWit and batching are most impressive and apparent during high transactional activity periods. A large percentage of the possible savings would have been achieved in only a few key months over the span of eight years and six months analyzed. So there's two things here. One, Coinbase could have been doing this shit a lot, a, a lot further back. And second, this report brings into question what uh, Brian Armstrong said, how much savings that, that they actually saved. The numbers don't match. And guess who I believe more than Brian Armstrong is going to be the guys over at Bitcoin Optech. Okay. So not only is Brian lying, you know, basically. I don't know what's he doing. He's polishing his own ball sack at this point and he's doing it in front of us and he's not even correct about the numbers. There's no way that he could get the numbers of quote unquote savings for his customers given this data. And especially considering the fact that he didn't start batching transactions until March the freaking 12th. This is unacceptable. The fact that he's got customers that, that, don't know if their accounts are verified or not verified, but it doesn't matter because they still can't get their money out of Coinbase. And then he's telling us this shit, delete Coinbase. Get as far away from that 
company as humanly possible is going to just it's going to just end in tears. Okay. And speaking of ending in tears, I'm just going to read the uh, uh, headline of this last one from Scott Cipollina from Decrypt.co. Coin market cap is now paying you to learn about crypto. That's right. Coin market cap has adopted the shittiest business model that Brian Armstrong from CoinDesk ever came up with, not CoinDesk, Coinbase, has ever come up with, and that is paying people in some bullshit token to learn about that bullshit token. So th- I, I kind of thought that that whole thing died, but apparently whatever is old is new again. We have human tokens out there that are replacing ICOs that in, in their stead had replaced altcoins. I, I got wrapped BTC flowing through Ethereum and they don't even know how much of their own damn token that they have because it can't count. And now I got, oh, we'll do that for Daily Train Wrecked. Vitalik, I'll, I'll be with you in a moment. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Vitalik Buterin, who said in an Ethereum R&D Discord channel last Friday, quote, adding a proper total supply command to the client seems like a low cost and reasonable thing to do. Five years later. That's right. Five years. This thing has been out for five years and they've never had a script to be able to calculate total supply. Hell, I was just looking at, you know, a couple of other things here. And in way back in June of 17 in 2020, there was some problem that Vitalik said the Ethereum supply is 40 million coins lower than originally expected. That's the beginning of the damn summer. Here we are, you know, like coming up on mid-August and all of this is happening five years after the launch of this scam machine and nobody knows how much ethereum there is nobody and then we hear about uncles and parents and children's and all kinds of weird things that are are in this rube goldberg machine and between gas and gui and geth and f and the token and the uh what was it the uh, promise of the world computer that was turing complete and i now i'm dealing with with family members i mean are there cousins is there a second cousin twice removed in there somewhere? I don't care what people tell you about this scam machine that is Ethereum. You have to run away from shit like this. This, this obfuscation of the truth by hand-waving should be your flagman on the railway that is the daily train wrecked to stay away from this kind of shit. You're going to get a twofer. Actually, I might even give you a threefer here because let, let's see what, uh, oh yeah, I like this one. Uh, apparently, Nim, Nimacheeps at Nimacheeps says, literally, what have all these 1 million developers on ETH been doing until Pierre Rochard arrived? Honestly, you can't count your own coins. I guarantee you, you don't know how many developers you have, but I do guarantee you it ain't a million. It's not. I'm sorry. And for the third and final daily train wrecked. No, you call a function and it returns a number. What do you do with it? 
Why is it important to know the exact number of BTC at a given block height? Is no no reason to to throw the sound effect in there on that. This is Nick Johnson again. That's a Wekabot at W E K A B O T. So apparently it doesn't even it shouldn't matter to us. It shouldn't matter to us. They can't figure out how much shit they got. We shouldn't be concerned with how much shit we have, right? Wrong. No, that's never going to happen. I I just I'm looking at this thing like it's a complete implosion on their part. I guarantee you they don't see that. And I also guarantee you that somehow or another they're going to survive it. It doesn't matter. Because this goes back to the human condition, the fact that we have greed apparently, you know, sewn into our DNA that allows people to believe that they're going to get rich buying Keenan coin or Joey coin or little Skippy down the street coin. Human tokens, human tokens. Just think about that. I mean, it. I don't even know how the Ethereans themselves are not being completely triggered because you know how green and rainbow and all unicorn farty they get about transgender stuff and like, I don't know, Black Lives Matter. I mean, you know, you know what's going on over there. Uh, how in the world would they not just cringe at the term human token? God, it's so bad. I need a joke. Save me, Father. Save me from this. We're going to do one for Dad Says Jokes. Um, I've, have, I've had to edit it a bit, a bit and I'll, I'll tell you why here in a second. But let's, let's do this one. Bought a new shrub trimmer today. It's cutting hedge technology. Now, the original one went something like this. Bought a new shrub trimmer today. I proudly showed it to my son. Quote, check this out. He replied, that's great, Dad. I said, it's cutting hedge technology. So the question is, what's, what is better? And it's just an opinion. I think, what especially, especially when it comes to dad jokes, that the shorter the better. There's no, I mean, there's absolutely no reason to have anything about the discussion with the son because it doesn't add to the joke, right? But it does add to the time. But when I say, hey, I bought a new shrub trimmer today and somebody looks at me, I just look at him and go, it's cutting edge technology. That's in my, again, my opinion, my opinion only. But man, if you, I mean, a, a good dad jokes like a slap in the face. You didn't even know what happened, and then you're kind of pissed about it. That's what I'm saying. All right, let's go ahead and end this one. I'm well over my hour target. I am at 74 minutes, so I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.